This week, uh, we'll see Monday through Friday, uh, 8 till noon, all the kids will come here and uh, uh, we will give them the gospel. And that's just uh, one, of the, one of the great things about Vacation Bible School Week. It's, uh, it's also the week that people come together and put all this wonderful stuff together. I know right after church today, uh, our whole crew is going to decorate these halls to the, to the hilt. If you've ever been uh, here during the week of VBS, you, you, you'd be amazed at the transformation. Uh, we'll probably leave it up for next Sunday as well, just because it's so amazing. But uh, uh, if you are, are prone to think about it, pray for Vacation Bible School. The gospel is shared every day with children. And I remember Vacation Bible School as a child. I remember hearing the gospel. I remember the, the teachers that were nice to me and uh, the wonderful time that was had and the way workers come together. So that's a worthy uh, endeavor to pray for. So I hope that you will. We're in Luke 12. Uh, last couple of weeks I've been gone, as you know, but up to that point, Jesus has been talking about his authority, because his authority has come under question. Who is this guy? He had cast out a demon back in chapter 11, and people are wondering, how, who, who gives this man this power? Uh, some thought it was the power of the devil, and Jesus is set forth to say, his teaching from that time on is to show that there's no way the devil can cast out his own people, his own demons, this is the power of God. In the midst of talking to them about the doctrine of God and the fear of God and the, the danger of blaspheming, which is to slander the Spirit of God, there's some schmo in the crowd who is, like many today, getting bored, a little bit tired of all the doctrine. Jesus, I know you're in the middle of talking about God and your authority and all that stuff about slandering the Holy Spirit, blah, 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 blah. But I've got a question for you. Here's what he says. Chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. In the midst of the depth of the doctrine, there's some guy in the crowd who's apparently his older brother, because in Judaism, the older brother got the double portion. Dad died Whatever was left, the, the oldest got the double portion and the other siblings got what was left. They divided that evenly. Apparently, this is the younger brother who doesn't like, the, like what's happened or maybe it's some other injustice to him. And he says, oh, Jesus, you know, against all those things you've been saying, yeah, 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 fine, fine, fine. That's all good, good, good. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Uh, will you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? This isn't fair. Jesus answers him in verse 14. Man, you ever heard Jesus answer that way? Man, dude, and, and really it would be akin to dude. You know, you can see Jesus, maybe there's a pause. Jesus, yeah, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus probably looked, dude, I'm teaching here. I'm telling people what it means to be saved. I'm telling people the, the, the depths of, of theology the dangers, the danger for your soul. Fear God who has the power to throw your soul into, into eternal torment. And you're talking about petty, trivial items about you not getting your fair share. Man, dude, there's a coldness here, a separation between Jesus and this man. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? That would have shut him up. Did Jesus come to settle petty disputes? The answer appears to be no. I came here to give you the gospel. I came here to give you what saves your soul and you're worried about money? 
Sometimes the questions that come to a preacher after a sermon are always uh, mind, I say always, when they come to them, they're mind-boggling, is, really, I just preached all that and that was your question? That's what you came forward and fought the crowd to ask me? Really? Please, let's move on. I mean, Jesus didn't come, the sermon, the Word of God is not meant to, to make your life better in the sense of this temporary, trivial, petty items of the world. It's meant to save your soul. You have to listen to the sermon from the right perspective. People are trained today to come to church to see what they might gain. What can I get? Some of you will leave today and you'll wonder, eh, it wasn't any good. Didn't do anything for me. And that's on you. The Word of God never fails. Never. There's no way it can. It's the Word of God. If it fails on you, then you're the failure. Now, it's possible that the one preaching it could be the failure. Heaven help me if I'm the failure. I'm going to read to you what it says, and we're going to be challenged by what God has given to us. I would say from Jesus' sarcastic question in verse 14 is that God did not send His Son. God did not leave heaven and become man, take on human flesh to come down and settle petty, ridiculous items. In fact, if we look at what Jesus really came to do, those petty, ridiculous items won't even enter our conversations. We don't care about those things. Who cares? This man did care. And Jesus is saying essentially with the question, I didn't come to be your judge or an arbitrator over your petty items. Verse 15, then he said to them, Jesus said to them, kind of uses this as an example to move forward. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. So we know the man wasn't just wanting his fair share. He was greedy. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't make this an example. Greed. Some of you are very wealthy. Some of you have a lot of money because you work hard. That doesn't mean you're greedy. Uh, In fact, if you're a salesman, if you're in the business to make money, you should work as hard as you can to make as much money as you possibly can. That is not a sin. The sin comes in what your motivation is. Is it just to have more money? Is it to have more money to, to be one of the richest people in the world or richest people in your, in your family, richest person in your family or in the people that you run with? Is it to buy yourself more things? That's real greed. There's a motivation in it. But just to retire or to work hard and make a lot of money is not the sin. That's not greed. I had one guy one time, he said, Lance, he said, I wake up in the morning and I'm a salesman. He said, is it wrong for me to want to get to work early and stay a little bit late and work hard? I said, well, if it's not affecting your family, get up early, stay a little bit late, work hard. I said, make all the money you want. That's what salespeople do. No salespeople are here amening that, right? That's okay if you could, if you did, because that's okay. What's the motivation though? So Jesus says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. The way he says it here, this present imperative is to always be on guard. Don't ever not be on guard against every form of greed. Every form is to say there's not just one form. Greed is in everything. I want more. I want better. I want to look better. I want to be better. I want to have more. I want what I have to be better than what it once was. And it can never be, I'll never be satisfied. Be on your guard. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. This is why Jesus says be on your guard. If what you possess doesn't make you better, then be on your guard for wanting more. 
We live in a world that says, accomplish more. If you can conceive it, you can achieve it. Do it. We're in the Western world. Capitalistic society. Make more. Climb to the top. Be better than the next person. They've got this education. You get that education. They've made it to this level on the ladder. You make it to this level, level on the ladder. And those who are up here don't tend to listen to people down here. Well, I'm up here. You're down here. I have this money. You don't have this money. Why would I up here listen to you down here? That's the greed. And Jesus is saying, this is not what you're like. This is not what makes you a, a good person. It's not what makes you consist of anything important. Again, for even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions? Or not even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions? Some people do. That's what they want. Everything their possessions, everything they own is telling the world, here's who I am. And I want you to like me and be impressed with me. Jesus says, be on your guard against that. That's greed. When you look at your life through the lens of owning, possessing, having great power. Now, don't you wish you could just say that, read that, and say, okay, I agree. I'll stop doing that. Wouldn't that be great? You can't just stop. You can't just be free from that. This is a spiritual problem. It's something you have to admit, first and foremost, that you've got a problem with this. I have a problem with greed. I want more. I mean, how many of you find yourself scrolling through the, the Amazon app? What, what could I get? It's Father's Day. What sales are there? Mother's Day. What sales are there? It's Memorial Day. It's Monday. It's Friday. What sales? Scroll, my hand doing this is scrolling. That's what that is. It's scrolling. Or this way. Whatever it might be. And you buy, and you buy, and you buy. And have you ever felt embarrassed that every day, every other day, there's a new package at your front door? Anyone feeling the conviction of that? Some of you should. <laughs> You've had two packages in one day from two different delivery people. We want, it's there. Don't you remember the days in the 70s with the Sears mail order catalog? You waited six weeks to three months to get it. By the time you got it, you forgot you ordered it. No, we get it in a day, within a couple of hours, or this isn't right. We're taking our business to Target. I mean, Walmart. <laughs> Greed. We want more. So Jesus tells the parable that Joel read. It's the parable of the rich fool. He says, okay, guys, let me tell you a story. The land of a rich, the, the land of a rich man was very productive. Productive land means God has blessed it. I don't care what generation you're in, a land that's productive, it's God's land. God made the earth. He makes it productive. This man has become rich on this productive land. Verse 17, and he began reasoning to himself, saying... What shall I do? I want you to, if you counted or circled all the I's and my's, the first person, there's 14 of them. This guy is into himself. It's all about him. You know the kind of people. Began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. You note that he doesn't go talk to his wife, his lawyer, his pastor. This is what I do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for yourselves. So laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What's his goal? Eat, drink, and be merry. I need to be happy. I was uh, visiting a friend of mine uh, in Colorado Springs this past week, and 
He, he, uh, he was given some stock options, and those stock options made him some money. He was able to retire in his mid-50s, and he mentioned something. He said, do you think that's okay? I said, yeah, it's okay. I mean, if your stock options make you some money and you can retire, retire. This passage is not telling people not to retire. Isn't that, that, that's good, right? Some of you are, whew, good. Because I need to be able to retire. I've got plenty of money. That's okay. But what's the purpose of your retirement? Why did you retire? I've got enough money. This is my little nest egg. I can live the way I want, eat, drink, be merry. Is that your goal? Because if that's your goal, you're going to be very offended today. Not at what I say, but at what God's Word says. The man is thinking only of himself. He's taking the rich, richness of the, the, the land that God has made it. By the way, grain in a silo uh, back then is, is akin to money in the bank for you and me. Money in the bank. We say, we've got money in the bank here. You've got lots of crops. It's equivalent. You're thinking, I don't... Uh, that guy doesn't sound wealthy. He, does, he is. He's got lots of land. He's got lots of crops. He's set for life. I'll tear down the, the smaller ones, build the bigger ones, put all the grain I have in there, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have laid up many goods, many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You'll note the next words are harrowing, but God. But God, what does God say about that? What would God say about your own retirement? When you decided to retire, or maybe you're moving up to that point of retirement, what would God say about your plans? Maybe you've said what this guy has said, or maybe you've said, Lord, I've got enough money to to live without going to work every day. I can get rid of that stress in my life. I still have enough money to give to my church. And by the way, giving to the church is giving to the one institution Jesus founded on this planet. It is the place from which blessings flow. It's better than any missions organization. I should say it's at least prioritized over any missions organization, any one individual person. The church of Jesus Christ is what we invest in. That is our investment. You might look at your church and say, well, it looks like the church is doing fine. I'll give my money elsewhere. You can do that. I mean, you have freedom to do anything. There's nothing here that says how much you have to give. But the church is where God blesses. It's in trouble, though, today, isn't it? Places that call themselves a church are really anything but. Any place can call themselves a church. But the church of Jesus Christ is not just one building in one location. It's the church worldwide. And God works through His church. It's not just a building, and it's not just a bank account in any church building, but it's through the people of those that comprise the church, saved people who have submitted themselves to Jesus Christ. This guy's priorities are all about himself. They have nothing to do with God's glory, only his own. But God said to him, you fool. That word in the Greek means you mindless one. You haven't thought this through at all. You fool. This very night, your soul will be required from you. I want you to just kind of creep over to chapter 12, verse 4. Probably just across the page from where you are. Where Jesus says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. This man has no fear of God. He's making his plans without God. He thinks he's got it all figured out because people with money think that they own the world. 
They think they have it. I've got enough money. I have power. I'll do what I want. People with money have no need for God. Not all. Some continue to recognize their need. Some of the harshest, I should say sternest, most solemn warnings in the New Testament are to the rich. Early Christianity was filled with people. In fact, it was made fun of uh, in the first, second, third centuries because most of the people who were converts to Christ were the poor, destitute, otherwise, for lack of a better word, losers of society. And the rich would look at them and say, look at the, why would I want to be a part of that? These are people that couldn't find acceptance in anything else. Jesus took them. I got my money. Oh, money makes us think that we are an impenetrable fortress. Money makes us think we've got it all together. Money in the bank gives you no worries about what you'll pay for or how you'll pay for it, I should say. I mean, when back when Cheryl and I were poor, I don't know that we were ever poor, but didn't always have, we certainly didn't, didn't know what we were going to pay for the next day or how we were going to pay for something. Back when I was in seminary, we lived in a house. We were up near Denton, Texas. I'm in seminary. We've got babies coming. Babies. Don't have babies in seminary. Bad, bad idea. Because they just cost more money than you don't have that. Lord, how are we going to make it through this day? Look, the car breaks down. What are we going to do? Lord, I can't pay. I mean, it was just the air conditioner on our Honda Accord. Well, do we need an air conditioner? Well, we live in South Texas. Yeah, it's June, it's July. Babies are screaming bloody murder. Cheryl's screaming bloody murder in the car. Got to have air conditioner. Got to pay for those things. And I remember thinking, Lord, if we had money, I wouldn't have to pray about this. I'd just go have it taken care of and I'd be fine. Thank you. Thank you that the night my wife served tuna loaf, I was able to say, Lord, at least it was something. Please don't ever give me tuna loaf again. I make the tuna loaf joke a lot, don't I? Well, eat it once and you'll make the same joke. That really wasn't that bad. I ate three days later. But uh, when you're poor or when you don't know where it's coming from, you tend to rely a lot more on God. Over the years, we've been able to pay our bills and have a few quarters to, to rub together afterwards. Metaphorically speaking, I've got a few more than 50 cents left over at the end of each month. And we don't always have to worry about the way we once did. And we did worry, sinfully, and God always provided. The poor, or I should say where I'm going is the rich don't necessarily need God. This guy certainly didn't need him. He didn't think he did. I'm going to sit back, eat, drink, and be merry, and God called him a mindless fool. Your soul is required of you. Now, people today have the same attitude. It's all about them. They continue to live in their, in, in, with their riches, and they don't die that night. God doesn't require their soul from them that night. Um, I don't mean to sound sarcastic about it, but I'm kind of glad that, that many of them don't die. The reason is, is because those rich who are living for their lives, living for themselves, I should say, in the here and now, this is as close as they'll ever get to heaven. And I salute them. Go ahead and enjoy. Enjoy your wealth. Enjoy it all because this is, this is your heaven. This is as close as you'll ever get. Enjoy your millions, your hundreds of thousands, whatever it is. It's all you got. 
And the converse is true, is that those of us who are in Christ, this is as close to hell as we'll ever get. Isn't that great? So God doesn't require their souls every... That night, here He does, to make the point, at least in the parable, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? In other words, everything you worked for, everything you built... God's saying, I'm going to give it to somebody else. Someone else will enjoy what you worked for. And Jesus says in verse 21, So is the man who stores up treasure for himself. He doesn't stop there. And is not rich toward God. Back when the guy says in verse 18, um, or in verse 17, he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? If he would have come to me for counsel... He said, hey, Lance, I've got a lot of money. I don't know what to do with it all. What should I do? That's easy. Give it to me. (laughs) No, I mean, it would be, that's a great problem to have. God has blessed you. Acknowledge that all of it's from God. Of course, hard workers like to say, no, 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 no. I worked hard for this. I remember one of the interviews with Lance Armstrong who overcame testicular cancer. And uh, uh, one of the interviews, they said, you know, do, do you... You thank God for any of this? And he goes, no, I worked hard for this. What? Someone actually said that? I overcame cancer. (laughs) We We don't do anything, folks, that God doesn't allow us to do. He is the giver of any ability we have. You might have worked hard and God might have rewarded you for your hard work, and you may be very wealthy, but who gave you your mind? Who gave you your legs, your arms, your, your ears to hear, your eyes to see, your mind to think? Who gave you that? Give God the glory. This man says, no, I get the glory. Sola de gloria, that Latin phrase for all glory to God. Glory to God alone. So my counsel would have been, hey, Take what God has blessed you with. Enjoy. Take a little portion of that that you can live on and live comfortably and enjoy yourself and give the rest over to God and see what happens. Let me tell you what will happen. I'm going to show you what the Apostle Paul says. I hadn't planned this, but it just came to my mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. To look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're in Luke, you go to John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, writing the letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, He had put together a a system whereby he was going to all the Gentile churches and collecting uh, a collection, taking up a collection of money to take with him back to Jerusalem to the poor Christians that had become poor in Jerusalem. And he's encouraging the Corinthians to continue with taking up this offering. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also beep, round, beep. <laughs> reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Folks, right there, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 mitigates against any legalistic notion of you have to give 10%. I've said this before, but some of you are feeling quite relieved. 
what God has done for us, you let the overflow of your heart determine how much you're going to give back to Him. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Give much, reap much. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, He scatters abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Note verse 10. Stay with me. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, who's that? That's God, of course. And bread for food might supply and multiply will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. That is liberality in giving, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. God is saying, give. I gave you this, give it. I will produce more when you give more. I will. That's promise. There it is. I will do it. And you will be so thankful through your gift. To the Philippians, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 19, 17, 18, 19, right there around about. He says, give your gift. He said, I'm not saying give your gift because I need it. He said, I want the gift that you give to be credited to your account. Give so that it's credited to your account. Not so that it's credited to someone else's, but so that it's credited to your account. This guy was only thinking of his own account. And so Jesus, I'm back in Luke 12, verse 22. Jesus looks back to his disciples in verse 22. And he said, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life. Actually, literally, it's don't worry about life as to what you will eat or for your body as to what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Tell that to, what was that star of the movie on uh, Devil Wears Prada? You know, that movie depicts the idea that clothes are everything. The way you look is everything. The way you look is nothing. You ever looked in the mirror and said, Lord, I, I look good. You must really be impressed with me today. Look at the way I match my clothing. Do you think God's in heaven going, you the man? I don't think so. People wear their nice clothes and they wear their, their, all the names on their clothes. Look at me. Look at where I shop. Don't I look nice? Now, I like to look nice too. I just have to look nice with what I can afford. My polyester pants, they fit the best. Don't be worried about these things. Again, don't you wish you could just say, okay, I hadn't heard that before. I'll just stop worrying about my clothes and where I'm going to get my next meal. Do not worry about your life. Underline it. Do not worry about life. Namely, what you'll eat, what you're going to wear. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. And then he says, go out and bird watch for a while. And consider the ravens, verse 24. A raven is a, an unclean bird in the Old Testament. So God is taking a, a lowly bird, a bird of carrion, a bird that you'll find eating dead carcasses. And yet this filthy bird, which is quite beautiful, by the way, the raven, 
Consider the ravens, or the birds in general, for they neither sow nor reap. You don't see a bird going out planting fields. You don't see a a, a bird plowing a field, planting seeds, and going, all right, next year at harvest, I'm going to have enough food. This is my field. You don't see birds do that. That's what Jesus is saying. They don't sow or reap, and they have no storeroom or barn. They don't have a 401k, and yet God feeds them. It's the lowliest of birds. It's the uh, unclean bird, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? If God takes care of the birds, and aren't they beautiful? If, if you're a bird watcher, you, you might not be an official bird watcher, but look at the birds. Go listen to the birds. Right before I left this morning, I just walked out my backyard. This is with a, with a, got some good rain here. My, my yard is green. Um, it, the trees are in bloom. It's beautiful out. I, I love the heat, dude. I don't mind the heat. I don't mind the sweat. I, I love that. I like to feel. I, I can sweat. Breeze comes through. I hear the birds. And you got to know that the birds and, and the katydids and the, and the crickets, that's, that's like a, a heavenly orchestra to God. He made them. Those birds singing. Some of them are annoying. They, they just keep doing the same thing over and over, over and over and over, right over your chimney. But that's beautiful. They're taken care of for the day. They're not worried about tomorrow. Birds are not out on a wire. I look at them. I'm pointing out back as my office over here. I look at them on the wire. And I always try to, I shouldn't admit this. I always imagine, what are they saying to each other? You know, because some of them, they turn their head to it. They turn it over. You know. It's like they're... Yeah, it's hot out today. I know. Yeah. I was in Colorado yesterday. It felt good. Yeah, really? I mean, I know it. I'm a, I'm a schizoid. I know. But uh, they're talking about something in bird language. And God takes care of these animals. If he takes care of them, won't he take care of you? You may not get your polo shirt. You may not get the car you want. It may be something that's beneath your standards. And if it is, then that's what God intended for you to wear. I, uh, it was years ago, I, my mom had, had gone to Goodwill and bought some clothes. There were some nice clothes. I mean, find some good things over there. And, and I was wearing it, and I ran into a guy at school. I was in high school, I think. And he said, hey, that was my shirt. <laughs> what? What are you talking? That's my shirt. Did you get it at Goodwill? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> the tag had his initials on it. There's no way of getting out of that one. Okay, I guess it was your shirt. Yes, my mom shopped at Goodwill. Yeah, you're better than me. You can't get out of that one. In high school, it's very embarrassing. Yeah, so I, but I had to wear a nice shirt. God clothed me. Humbled me. Verse 25. And which of you by worrying? By the way, let's go back. Verse 22. Said to the disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life. Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? Have you ever found your life to be better after you worried about something? You went over to your spouse or your friend, your counselor, and you said, I feel good about the worrying I did yesterday. It really, it, you know, it encouraged me. Good. Go home today and worry. Let me give you some more things to worry about. You worry about that. 
I heard one man say, George McDonald said, you know, no man ever, ever faltered under the worry of the day. No one has ever faltered under the worry of the day. It's only those who falter. Those who falter are only the ones that add tomorrow's worry onto it. Uh, that stuck with me. I, I, I mean, my Sundays, is, is, it reaches a climax in my study part of the week. Um, Monday is always a huge day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are huge. There's a lot of time I have to spend. I have to get things done Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I begin to stress over Monday on Sunday afternoon. Um, and I have to stop. I mean, I've, I've, for years I've been uh, struggling with that. And I come in and, and God will give something or someone, somebody to slow me down. I've got to slow down and now I'm even further behind. You know, Wednesday never stops coming. And I teach on Wednesday nights. It never takes a break, ever. And Sundays are even more relentless. They never stop. Wednesday, Sunday, you've got to have something. You're going to stand up in front of my people, God says. Lance, you're going to stand up and you need to give them my word. Now get into your office and study. But Lord, this, this, and this. Now deal with this, this, and this. Deal with it, Lance. Quit your griping and your yapping. And don't worry about tomorrow. You go study now. You go counsel now. Okay. I have these arguments I think about birds. I think about God, what God would say to me. Why worry? Verse 26, if then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? I was talking to a woman this morning, just about some family problems in her family. She said, I can't control them. I can't change them. She's absolutely right. I can't change them. How many of you have come to that conclusion? Ladies, that you cannot change your husband. Men, you cannot change your wife. Parents, you have a responsibility to bring the children in your home under your authority, but you cannot change them either. They can be under your authority, and when they're not, they're going to go do their own thing. It's not your fault unless you failed to bring them under your authority. And children are little. That's why God gives them to us when they're little, so they can be trained from an early day to be under our authority. Amazing how many small children run their homes because mom and dad are too spineless to bring them under their authority. But even them, as I said, you cannot control them. You cannot control their souls by putting them in a Christian school or putting them in vacation Bible school or homeschooling them. You will not control their soul. You might do what you think is best, and you should, but you will not control them. And we worry about our children, don't we? We're worried about them. Worried about this, worried about that. My daughter yesterday drives down to Galveston with a group of people. I worried. But, I, but I'm preaching this, so i got to stop. <laughs> I keep reading it. Don't worry, don't worry. I know, but I love my daughter. I worry about what life would be like if my daughter wasn't with me. I worry like you would. I can't control it. My worry did not bring her home safe. Worry never does. Who of you can add an hour to lifespan by worrying? In fact, we probably whittle away many hours, days, even years off of our lives by worrying, don't we? It is psychologically detrimental to our health. Worse, it is spiritually detrimental. And Jesus says, why do you worry about these matters? 
So he takes the lilies of the field, which is just another word for wildflowers. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed himself, clothed himself like one of these. As you know, Solomon is the wealthiest man in Scripture. The man was worth billions upon billions of modern dollars. A billionaire is going to clothe himself pretty good, don't you think? We all have to think because none of us are billionaires. And Jesus takes a little flower. We were out, my wife and I, as you know, we were in Utah, and we made our way over to Vail, Colorado, and we were just this beautiful time of year there, and we were out walking. We were in, in Utah, and one of the days that we walked and hiked, uh, we, we walked out onto a ledge onto this mesa, and it's beauty, and, and there's a green field to get to it, and it's just as far as you can see, and then it's just peppered with these yellow flowers over here. And then over here, God just decided that this red flower would pop up out of nowhere all by itself. And then a purple one over here, and then orange over here, and I think this is God decorating his living room. I think over here I want yellow. I don't want any other flowers amidst the yellow, just want the yellow here. And I want that one red one. That's like like a man decorating his house saying, I want a poster of Akeem Olajuwon right here in the living room. My favorite basketball player of all time. This is God, this this is my earth. And a little flower, and I look down at the little flower, and right next to the flower is a little, little lizard that crawls across. This little lizard. One of them let me come up to him, and I kind of got down in his face, and the rest of them ran away from me. This lizard didn't. He, he liked me. <laughs> and just nature. I know it's, it's silly. I don't mean to sound silly. It's that, that little insignificant lizard next to a little red flower that has no business being there is God's. He made it. He put it there. Jesus says, consider those flowers, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. And that man, the richest man on the planet, didn't even come close to being dressed as beautiful as they are. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? And then he adds... You men of little faith. We are of little faith when we worry about our clothing, what people think of us, how we dress, what we must have. You men of little faith. Stop your worrying. It doesn't help you. Think of those flowers. That's what bird watching and flower looking will do. Reminds you of the basics. Listening to birds chirp, watching a flower bloom, even the most menial of flowers. I don't have a very good view from my office over on this side of the building, but right out there, there's a field out behind me, and it's full of these huge sunflowers. And the church next door will, when they decide it's too big, it's their property, they'll mow it. I don't understand why, because it looks beautiful with the flowers. And there's raspberries, what is it, Karen? Are there blackberries? There's blackberries all over there. Out, out back there. Go put on your, your rubber boots, go out there, and you'll pick all kinds of blackberries. You'll, it's never-ending. But I think, you know, that insignificant flower that somebody will ride over with a tractor, that's a beautiful flower. It's significant. God took care of it. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Will he not care for me, a man made in the image of God, the pinnacle of his creation? Oh, you of little faith. The answer is, of course, Yes. Verse 29, and do not seek what you will eat, what you will drink. Do not keep worrying. For those of you stockpiling food and putting it in a basement or your attic, worried about the tribulation time period, stop. 
You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is tomorrow. There are people that have these bug out places that they're going to go, that they're, they're worried that, that when the end comes, they're going to have this place will be taken care of. I got news for you. According to Matthew 25, if you're not planning on sharing all of that with those who don't have it, you better get rid of it today because you will be judged to hell for not sharing it during that time period. The good news is, is that we're all going to be raptured before that tribulation time period. You say, well, hell, I believe in a mid-tribulation. I'm sorry, you can be wrong, but you're, you're all that food you, you kept, you, keep it. I, I, there, there is no hope for people. I mean, there's, very, there's less hope for people who don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. You believe you're going to have to endure at least three and a half years of it. Maybe at the end, you're going to have to wait till the end. And what are you going to do? What hope is there? There's no imminent return of Christ for you. All the imminence of Jesus' return is gone. Because you know there's certain things that have to happen, and when those happen, then you've got to live a few more years. No. The rapture occurs before any of those occur. That's why it's ridiculous to look at the newspaper or, or your, your online news source and say, these are happening, these must be the fulfillment of Scripture. Those things don't happen until after the rapture. Right now, they're just birth pangs. So we don't have to worry about what we'll eat. We don't have to stockpile because we're not going to have to live through that. Do not worry about it. Don't keep worrying. Verse 30, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. That is all the pagans, unbelievers, that's what they seek. But your father knows that you need these things. If he knows we need them, he doesn't say want them. He knows you need them. My father knows I need them. If my earthly father took care of me as he did, and he did, uh, my dad made it very clear he would never, he would give anything he could to make my life better. And he did. He wasn't a wealthy man. But if my earthly father, sinful though he was, would do that for me, Won't my Heavenly Father do that all the more? Whose love is perfect? Of course. Hence, don't worry. God's in charge. He's got it. So what do we do while we're not worrying? Verse 31. But seek His kingdom. Matthew says, but seek first His kingdom. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seek. That's a present imperative verb, meaning continually seek. Let your life be that person that is continually seeking the kingdom of God. Now, when you're continually seeking the kingdom of God, what are you not doing? You're not seeking your own kingdom. You're not seeking your own pleasure. You're not working overtime, double time, triple time for your own pleasure. You're seeking the kingdom of God. So you can mitigate all of your selfishness by simply seeking the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's the future reign of Jesus Christ on the earth, on a renewed earth, completely renewed, with His people, whereby He delegates His authority to His people, because the Bible says over and over, the New Testament says that God's people will reign. We will reign over other peoples. Unbelieving peoples? No. Be Christians over Christians and be those that were faithful over those who were less faithful, all living in God's eternal kingdom. Christ on the earth, that kingdom, seek that kingdom. You ever think about that kingdom? That's the kingdom you think about when you say, Lord, please come now. Please return. It's when you've had a bad day or maybe when you've watched the news and you see there's no hope in the world. There's certainly no hope in politics. 
American politics, it seems like this world is going to be brought to nothing. Doesn't seem like it. The Bible says it will. It seems like it's actually happening. So what ought we be doing? If we're not worried about it, we are seeking His kingdom. And when we seek that kingdom, these things are added to you. What are these things? Food, clothing. Is that guaranteed? No. No. Let me tell you why it's not guaranteed. This may rattle you. I had to think and pray about it all week to make sure that I could say it, and that is that God is not primarily concerned with our physical bodies. He's not. We pray for things. Lord, take this away from me. Take this sickness away. Heal this person. Or you pray for your daughter on a long trip. Please keep them safe. They get in a car wreck and die. You, you live your life the best you can. Someone steals you, kidnaps you. You become part of the human trafficking scheme. You are physically abused. You are sexually abused. You are sexually assaulted. Lord, where were you? Where were you? I've sought your kingdom, and this happened? There's no guarantee it won't, folks. That's why Jesus said to that guy that called out, Tell my brother to share the good stuff with me. Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in whether you have money. You see, God is not about our physical bodies. All you got to do is look around and see the people suffering. Good people, children, Christians, missionaries, who have given their lives to service. God never says, I will make sure that you are healthy and wealthy. Never. You want that theology? Go listen to Joel Osteen and then repent because he is from the pit of hell as is his doctrine. All of that health and wealth gospel, that's no gospel. That's, those are lies, people. Your body is decaying right now. It is dying. God has not said you will never get cancer. God has not said you will never be kidnapped. God has not said you will never be assaulted in some way, shape, or form. He's not said it. Don't bank on it. Don't think that God has let you down if those things happen. So when he says, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you, these things, God will clothe you in so far as He feels like clothing you, feed you in so far as He feels like feeding you. And when He decides to take you home, to bring you home, He'll bring you home. Yes? Do you know that? Can you accept that? Me preaching that means, Lance, you've got to be careful. You've got to know that if you come down with a cancer diagnosis or if your wife and daughter are kidnapped or something horrible happens to them you're not shaking your fist at God going I was faithful to you Lord you owed me that he doesn't he doesn't owe us anything it's just the opposite we owe him hold on to your life this flesh and blood lightly and don't worry about what you're going to clothe it with. Clothe it. But don't worry what it looks like. Please, clothe There's always something to clothe it with. Seek first His kingdom. 
Now you get another command in verse 32. Do not be afraid. Don't worry. Don't stockpile money for your own benefit, but for God's glory. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. But notice what he calls them here. Little flock. Little flock. He doesn't say, don't be afraid, champions of heaven. Don't be afraid, you lions with courage. Don't be afraid, little flock. Little sheepies. You know, there's a reason why we're called sheep in the Bible. Sheep are the most defenseless animals ever. They must have a shepherd. They will, they will die of starvation. They will die of thirst if a shepherd doesn't take them to water. They can hear the water, but they won't go to the water. You should go to YouTube and watch some sheep videos. They're comical, but you will, you will come around. I don't care what you, what you say. You will come along and you will say, that is, pardon the word, that is the stupidest animal I have ever seen in my life. And that word stupid is perfect. I know that some families, you say, kids don't say that word. And yeah, there's bad context for that word. You don't go around saying, you're stupid, that's stupid. But sheep are stupid. <laughs> stupid is, is something that is so dim-witted. It, it is, there's one video I just saw. This guy is down in this creek, and he's pulling this sheep that's fallen into the creek, and he pulls it out and sets it free. The sheep goes out and goes right back in. And I thought, if that's not us, I don't know what is. People today, I mean, haven't we figured out that drinking too much is bad for you? Haven't we figured out that smoking is bad for you? Haven't we figured out that taking drugs is bad for you? How many more generations need to teach this generation that those things are wrong? And yet people take up smoking every day. People keep drinking every day. I'm not talking about just a drink. I'm talking about getting drunk. Oh, I think I'll try heroin. I think I'll try methamphetamine. We are those sheep. We keep falling into the selfishness. What God has said not to do, we keep doing. We are sheep. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. Don't worry, little flock. My little sheepies, don't be afraid. A sheep is unafraid only if the sheep has a mighty shepherd. I love that Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And I love relating it to Psalm 23 where David says, the Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. Because when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is saying, I'm Yahweh. What David thanked Yahweh for, Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm God in the flesh. My sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. They respond to me. I will never let my sheep go. And the good shepherd will always feed and care for his sheep. Hence, do not be afraid. If he's in charge and we know the good shepherd is in charge, we have nothing to fear. We certainly have nothing to worry about. And we don't have to worry about stockpiling money and things. God has it in his control. Right there in the palm of his hand. We sang that song in Vacation Bible School. He's got the whole world in his hands. I'm part of that world. You're part of that world. Right there in the palm of his hand. It's like he's looking at us going, I got you. I got you. You're okay. Remember when your dad or your mom taught you how to swim? Oh, man, I was scared out of my mind. And my dad is, you know, what dads do, he just keeps moving back and making you swim. You think you're getting there, but he keeps moving back. I got you. 
My dad wasn't going to let me go. I got you. You're okay. You're all right. But dad, you kept moving backwards. I got you. This is what God is saying in the palm of his hand. I've got this taken care of. What are you worried about, Lance? What, what are you fretting over? I've got it. So in contradistinction to what he said prior to this in verse 33, sell your possessions. Instead of hoarding them, sell them. And give to charity. This past week, I decided after playing a golf tournament on Monday, got to share the gospel at a men's event in uh, Adam Walden and Lake Conroe with Lakeside Bible Church and shared the gospel, and, and, uh, which is what I was invited to do before the golf tournament. Brian Smith was there, and he said, one of the guys came up to me, and he said, do you have to listen to that every week? <laughs> I, I thought it went over well, apparently didn't. But uh, after that round, I thought, you know what? I, I, I do need a new set of golf clubs. I I do. I didn't throw any in the lake, but I do need a new set of golf clubs. So I, I wrote Brian, hey, Brian, what, what, uh, give me a ballpark figure on uh, new clubs, and when, when do I have time for a fitting? He gives me the ballpark figure and blah, blah, blah. And then this week I begin this passage. Sell your possessions and give to charity. No golf clubs? <laughs> I really need those new golf clubs. How about, Lance, instead of getting new golf clubs... You take the money you were going to buy those golf clubs with that you don't need, that will not make your game better, and you give it to charity. Mm, I don't want to think about that. I, I don't want to think about Don't You ever get the Bible passages and you go, can I just move on, turn the radio on. I didn't hear that, don't want to hear it. That just haunts me. Can I give up everything? I think so. Will I? I haven't even figured out if I'm not going to buy those golf clubs yet. I, this is a confession to you. This is not supposed to be funny. You're supposed to be crying over this. Our pastor can't even get this right. Oh, but now there's no way, because if any of you asked you to get those clubs, I can't say yes, so I'm not getting the clubs. But that's the, that's the antithesis. Can you, let me ask you this, can you give it all up? Or is your hope in that 401k you got? Is it in that annuity that you have? that is feeding you. Can you give it up? Would you? Or is that where your hope is? Because if your hope is in your possessions, you might be that case that says, you know what, honey? Today we're going to go home and sell it all because I know it is and I can't get out of it. We need to get rid of it all. There are stories of people who have. I don't think Jesus is saying, okay, and everybody stop what you're doing. Everyone go sell everything you have and give to charity. I don't think that's what he's saying. In fact, I know he's not. In fact, if you look over in chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says essentially the same thing. He says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's denying who you are, denying what you are, giving it all to Christ, following him. Look over at Luke 14, verse 27. Jesus says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Look down at verse 33. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. I thought salvation was by faith alone. It is. Salvation is by God's grace alone. and It's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Sola gratia, sola fide. Grace alone, faith alone, solo Christus, and Christ alone. Right? That's what it is. 
Why are we getting this instruction? Do I have to go do something now? I would say, I'm not going to water this down. It's not my place to water it down. But I would say this, at the very least, you must be willing. Is it a condition of my salvation, Lance? No, salvation is through, God's, through faith alone and God's, by God's grace alone. But those who make such a confession, and those who believe, and those who are saved, are those who have given their life to Christ. When you give your life to Christ, you're not worried about money. You're not worried at all. You're not afraid. You're not popping pills to get over depression and anxiety. You look to the heavens. God's on His throne. What am I worried about? The psalmist says, Psalm 42, verse 5, just listen. He asks his soul, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Then he preaches to himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. In 43, 5, he says the same thing. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Those who are worried don't know Christ. At least they know Him very little. Maybe today you add this information to your life that He is the Good Shepherd. You and I are the little flock. He loves and cares for His own. If He died on the cross for us, oh, He'll care for you. You want a a really good purse? Be willing to sell your possessions or sell your possessions. Sell off the excess. Give it to charity. In so doing, I believe, as you make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unwavering treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. That's the heavenly retirement right there, folks. Investing in the future by seeking first God's kingdom. We're investing in eternity. That, that 401k in heaven is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger with every seeking of God's kingdom. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ask yourself right now, where is my treasure? Because if it's in money, it's in your retirement, that's where your heart is. Is it in your health? Is that all you think about? Health. Popularity. Something. Where is it? Clothing I wear? People, the way they look at me? Is that where my thoughts are? Because that's where my heart is. Where is your treasure? Lance, where's yours? I think my treasure... You know, we always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We always... We're our best lawyers. We are our best lawyers. Well, Lord, you know what my treasure is. You know what I give my time to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if I stopped paying you to be a pastor, Lance? Where would your heart be? Would it be in the same church? Yeah, probably find another church, I guess. I don't know. I'm a wretch. I am a wretch. I know what a wretched man I am. Doug McCary said it last week. He said, if you knew who I really was, you wouldn't allow me to stand up here and preach to you. I say the same thing. If you knew what I really thought, you wouldn't allow me to preach to you. You wouldn't listen to me. And I wouldn't listen to you. Where is my treasure? I will continue to ask that each day. Where is my treasure? I know I long for heaven but probably all for selfish reasons. I know I'm over time. I've got to give you five points, just five points. 
I'm over. The, the children's ministry is going to be angry at me. But Misty's not even in there today. She got the day off. Where are you, Misty? There she is. So you can't be mad at me. Number one, work hard. Make money. But do it for God's glory. Tweak it. Stop doing it for you. Seek God's kingdom. Work hard. Make lots of money. And do it for God's glory. Number two, be rich towards God. Find a way to deprive yourself of what you want and give it over to the church of Jesus Christ. A Christian in need. Number three, are you worrying? Just imagine yourself slapping God in the face. Are you going to do something, God? How dare you, God? I'm worried. Just keep slapping him in the face because that's what you're doing by worrying about anything or anybody. Number four, are you afraid of what? What are you afraid of? Who are you afraid of? God is in control. Control. The kingdom of God is yours. But I don't have nice clothes. But the kingdom of God is yours. But my car doesn't work. My health is no good. But the kingdom of God is yours. Little flock. Continuing to worry as you, that sheep, has been released from that ditch and runs right back into it. Over and over. You can't get loose. You can't get loose from the, the pull and the ownership that your money has over you. Then maybe you need to go to an extreme. Sell it. Put that 10,000 square foot house up for sale. You don't need that. Who needs a 10,000 square foot house? Put it up for sale if it owns you. Sell it. Live in a 1,500 square foot home. Go buy a trailer. Sell it. Maybe you need to go to that extreme. Where's your treasure? Answer it. Pray about it. And fear the one who has the power to take your soul and cast it into hell. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so sobering. I pray that it has convicted us all. I know it has me. I pray that our treasure would be you, you and you alone, that our focus would be you, that we seek you, your scripture reading, your prayer, our time spent worshiping, giving of our money, of our time, that we seek you, not just on Sundays, but every day. Convict us. Bother us, Lord. Don't let us out of your grasp. Don't let us away. Don't let us turn the radio on to forget what we don't want to remember. Constantly remind us because you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May God bless you as you go. You've been listening to a sermon by Dr. Lance Waldy, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Cypress, Texas. 